And good morning again. As of last night, 110 people in San Mateo County, a little over 1,000 and 100 people in the state of California, more than 25,000 people in the United States had been diagnosed with COVID-19. And while some would not consider those numbers, at least on a sort of a national scale, on a global scale, to be significant, in how they compare, for example, to the ordinary flu or influenza in the United States each year, we know that coronavirus is more transmittable than the flu, that it is more dangerous and more deadly than the flu. The coronavirus has the ability to devastate our lives, and we continue to see it in a variety of ways around the world. It's overwhelming hospitals, exhausting resources, pushing medical personnel to their limits, especially in places like Seattle and New York and our country, but all over the world as it did in China, Italy, Spain, France, Korea, Iran. And yet while most of us have only up to this point been mildly inconvenienced by coronavirus and had to change our routines only a little bit, maybe working from home, doing distance learning from home instead of school, standing in lines at the grocery store, maybe not being free to be able to enjoy all that we have enjoyed ordinarily. We have seen the suffering in the news. We have seen the death. We have read about the market crashing. We have seen and we have experienced and some of us are worried about our jobs, about our livelihoods, about whether or not we're going to be able to put food on the table and feed our children in the coming months, even weeks. And these are all valid concerns. Most of us have never experienced anything like this in our lifetimes. And so we may ask legitimately, where is God in all of this? What is God up to? What does God think? Does God care? What is God doing? And these are valid questions. And with these questions in mind, we will turn to the scriptures, but first, pray pray with me one more time. God, we ask that you would give us hearts that are good, open, fertile soil to receive your word. We ask that through your word you would teach us, that you would shape us, that you would mold us, that you would give us a heart like yours that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that you would be reforming us and rejuvenating us and drawing us into yourself. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they immediately be forgotten. We pray these things in Christ the Lord. Amen. We're reading this morning from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. It's not the easiest reading in the Bible. You're going to have to work a little bit to stay with me as I read through these verses this morning. So beginning at chapter 8, verse 18, listen closely. This is Paul writing. This is the Word of God. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that, we, that will be revealed in us. Paul was experiencing suffering and particularly because of his faith and it was out of this experience of suffering that he writes. For the creation, or in other words, the created order. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For even the creation was subjected to frustration. 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation itself, Paul says, was experiencing suffering. Some of us would say that creation doesn't really matter, that it's here for us to use and abuse, but the scriptures don't really give that understanding. Creation is suffering, groaning, as we'll see. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, the deposit of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, when all things will be complete. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul calls the Romans to wait patiently, eagerly, hopeful. And with these words, Paul acknowledges that things were not as they should be. They were not as they were intended to be, not with humanity and not with creation, not with any facet of creation. All have suffered and all continue to suffer as a consequence of humanity's rebellion. But Paul has this great hope that all will be restored, first the children of God, and then after the children of God, also creation itself. And he continues, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Because of Paul's weakness and the acknowledged weakness of humanity, Paul says, the Holy Spirit intercedes or prays on their behalf, our behalf. And then verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul had become convinced. The Apostle Paul, who in his previous life had had quite a bit of confidence in himself and in his bloodline and in his pedigree and in his scholarship and in his righteousness and in his goodness according to the law. This man had become convinced, he writes, that God was up to something 
and that nothing was going to thwart the plans of this good and loving God who had come to him and come to the world in Jesus Christ. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation was going to be able to separate Paul from the love of God and the God of love who resided in or who existed in and as Jesus the Lord. Of the letters that we have from Paul that Paul wrote, this letter to the Romans may have been the last of them written. And certainly by that time, Paul had written his second letter to the Corinthians. By the time he had written this letter to Rome. And what he wrote to the Corinthians among that long letter was this. That he had worked much harder. That he had been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times he had received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times he had been beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones, three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. He had been constantly on the move. He had been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from his fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He had labored and toiled and had often gone without sleep. He had known hunger and thirst and had gone without food. He had been cold and naked without clothes. Besides everything else, he writes, he faced the daily pressure of the concern he had for all the churches. In short, Paul had suffered mightily and for a long time in a lot of different ways. And yet Paul could write to the Romans, and we know, That in all things God works or God is at work or God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's say that together in your homes, out loud. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know Do you know what God is doing in the midst of coronavirus? Do you know what good God is doing? Over the last few days, as I've been at home with my family, I have recognized that God has gifted us with, in some ways, a season of Sabbath that many of us have desperately needed. That he commanded Sabbath from very early on, and yet most of us don't practice it, at least in the Bay Area. And so God has given us a forced Sabbath of sorts, many of us. God is at work bringing about good. I was thinking, I was wondering to myself this week as I was sheltering in place at home, why is a part of me feeling so good? Why is there something that just feels lighter than usual? 
And I realized I haven't been out in traffic at all. There has been no traffic in my life, which has just been this incredible relief and gift. God is bringing about good in the midst of coronavirus, even in that way. And God is letting us know more seriously in the midst of coronavirus how vulnerable we are in a broken world and that were it not for God's daily mercies and God's, quote, common grace, as theologians call it, that we would experience even more deadly threats to our existence. This week, as I've been thinking, it's this little virus that I can't even see. None of us can see even at least without a microscope, and even then most of us wouldn't know what to look for or see. That a virus, a little thing too small for us to see, is bringing the nations to their knees. And over these past couple of weeks, I have found myself amazed that we human beings have lasted this long, that somehow we have managed to survive and even flourish when such a little thing can do us under. God is letting us know how vulnerable We are. And God letting us know that, reminding us of that, is a good thing. And God is letting us experience just how little control we have of our own existence. We tend to think that we can make plans, that we can execute plans, that we can map out our lives, that we can then carry out everything that we have intended and decided and ordained. But that ex- that's not exactly how things are, and God is reminding us of this through coronavirus. In his classic little book, A Diary of Private Prayer, one of Donald Bailey's prayers goes like this for one morning a week. For it is little that I have power to do or to ordain. Not of my own will am I here. Not of my own will shall I soon pass hence. Of all that shall come to me this day, very little will be such as I have chosen for myself. And that's hard a hard prayer to pray for a control freak like me. But it's a good prayer to pray. And the sooner we each learn that we are not in control of everything, the better off we will be. And the sooner that we are able to pray with Bailey that little prayer, the better off our lives will be. He concludes that day of prayer thankfully with these words. It is thou, O God, who dost keep in thy grasp the threads of this day's life and who alone knowest what lies before me to do or to suffer. And because thou art my father, I am not afraid. And in the midst of coronavirus, God is bringing about good by revealing to us again the goodness of looking out for others. That when we turn our eyes toward others in need, that our own lives are somehow richer for that. We have seen during this season God bringing people together who just weeks ago and for the last several years have been divided. We have found a common purpose. We have found a common goal. We have found in the bad that God is able to bring about good. We have discovered that when we stand together that we will not fall apart. This very human reality that we need and depend on one another 
and that that is a good thing and that that can be a blessing. And in the midst of coronavirus, God is drawing us to himself through prayer, through desperate prayers for healing when we are reminded that there are limits to medicine and limits to technology and that our prayers are bringing us back to our creator and our redeemer and our sustainer, our healer, our rock, our fortress, a very present help in time of need. If anything, this season is drawing us back to God and reliant prayer. I remember the Sunday after the Tuesday that was 9-11 so many years ago. And on that Sunday morning, the churches were packed with people who in the wake of 9-11 and the uncertainty and the fear and the anxiety poured into churches asking God for help as we are again leaning on God for healing and for hope and for strength. And the Apostle Paul might say that God is also during this time bringing about good by revealing to us the groaning of creation that we otherwise so often ignore. Creation that merely reflects and is a result of the groaning of humanity and our own brokenness. A creation that desperately calls out itself to be healed, to be put back together, to be allowed to restore itself, and to be refreshed. There's so much that we don't know right now and so much that we cannot see. But we can know and trust that the God who made us and who made everything is working to bring about good even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of coronavirus, the God whom we know and the God whom we worship is working to bring about good. That is who God is. Go back with me to Genesis chapter one. God is, God is. And God begins to create on the first day, on the second day, on the third day. And after each day, God looks at what God has created and God says, good, good, good. And then he gets to the sixth day and he creates humanity, man and woman. And God steps back and looks and he says, very good. Very good. And why are, why is, why were the man and the woman very good? Because they were made, quote, in the image of God. They were made in the likeness of their creator who himself was inherently and completely and in every way good and goodness. We may not always see God's goodness, We may not always see God bringing about good, even out of suffering, even out of hardship, even out of pestilence. But this is what God does. For decades, this little short essay has been circulating. It's attributed to an unknown soldier from the Confederate Army at the end of the Civil War. We don't actually know who wrote it, but its words are, Nevertheless, appropriate. The author writes, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. 
I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked God for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked God for power that I might have the praise of men and women. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for but everything I hoped for. And almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And I, among all people, am most richly blessed. The story of God is one of bringing good out of bad, good out of suffering, of a good God repairing and restoring and putting back to a world that humanity messed up. Over the course of history throughout the scriptures from beginning to end, there is Abraham up on a mountain told by God to sacrifice his one and only son. A terrible, awful situation, but out of it God brings good. Out of the people of Israel being drawn out of famine into Egypt, which became for them 400 years of slavery, God eventually brings about good, salvation. Over and over and over, God does this all the way up to a Friday that we call good, but that wasn't good for Jesus. But it was a good God bringing about good out of a horrible situation, out of a man being nailed to a tree for the sin and the depravity and the yuck and the muck of all humanity, God bringing about good out of bad. And if God would do this with his own son, imagine what else God could and would and will do. Hanley Mool wrote, There is no situation so chaotic that God cannot, from that situation, create something that is surpassingly good. He did it at creation. He did it at the cross. He is doing it today. In the second century, Tertullian, one of the great early church fathers, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. From bad, God would bring about, he prophesied, good. From persecution and suffering and loneliness, God would bring about the flourishing and the building up of a church that would grow and multiply and cover the earth and be a blessing to others. It is this God whom we worship. It is this God whom we know in Jesus Christ. It is this God whom we praise. John Piper said, God will not turn away from doing you good. He will keep on doing good. He doesn't do good to his children sometimes and bad to them at other times. He keeps on doing good. And he will never stop doing good for 10,000 ages of ages. When things are going bad, that does not mean God has stopped doing good. It means he is shifting things around to get them in place for more good if and as we will go on loving him. 
May we go on loving him through the midst of this coronavirus. May we go on trusting him. May we go on, by God's grace, seeing him bringing about good for the well-being of his people, for the joy of his people, for the confidence of his people, though we may suffer, and for the glory of his name. Please pray with me. And we're going to take a couple of minutes to pray now. And so I invite you, if you'd like, to stand up, to raise your hands, to lift up your hands to God in prayer. You may want to kneel. You may want to lie down. Something you feel more comfortable doing, maybe in the comfort of your own home than you do here on Sunday morning. But put yourself in a posture of prayer, in a posture that calls out to God for healing and hope for the revealing of God's presence. Let's bow, let's stand, let's kneel, let's pray together. God, you are our source of strength, you are our hope, you are the one on whom we can count and the only one. You reveal to us our frailty in times like these, you reveal to us our humanity. You reveal to us the parts that are broken. You reveal to us our pride. We confess that we have sought to be independent. We confess that too long and in too many ways we have thought ourselves to be self-sufficient. Forgive us, heal us, fill us with your spirit. Your spirit that is able to pray for us, to speak to you for us, to give us words to articulate our hearts, the groaning within us for healing, for restoration, for things to come back together for you and your appearance for which we have longed. We pray, God, that you would redeem our country during this time. We pray for our leaders, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them knowledge, that you would help them to know what to do and how to do it, that you would give them humility. We pray, God, for doctors and nurses and medical staff and technicians in hospitals and clinics, for those who are doing testing, for those who are working shift after shift after shift in service and in ministry and in love, pouring themselves out for others. Give them strength. Give them power. Give them rest at times. Keep them safe. Protect them. We pray for those who are sick, God, that they would look to you in faith, that you would grant to them peace, that you would heal their bodies, that you would knit them back together, that these would be times where they might be able to see you even face to face, as Paul said. And we pray for ourselves, God. Help us to be available to you at times like these. Help us more than ever to be open to hearing your voice, to hearing your word, to going where you would have us go, to doing what you would have us do. Make us generous hearted toward our neighbors. Help us to love and to be loving toward our enemies, even in our minds. May we be your salt and your light in our neighborhoods, caring for the elderly, caring for those who are poor or who all of a sudden will be lacking resources. 
Help us to let go and be open-handed, God, with the things with which you have entrusted us. And in all of this, may your name be praised. You are so good. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.